into a, a time of prayer this morning. I know that we've all come from, from different circumstances, different weeks, and some of you have come in with joy. Some of you have come in with, uh, this has been a great week. Um, some of you have come in with great fear and uncertainty. Now, I know for the last couple of weeks, there have been some of you who have been struggling with some pretty dark and some pretty heavy things. But the thing that we've just proclaimed here today is that there is nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing in this world that is outside of the capability for God to intervene. And so this morning, as we take time to pray together, I want us to do just that. Let's pray together, right? Like we pray to God and we get to talk to him, but, but let's encourage each other. Let's pray together this morning. Because if there's one thing that I've discovered throughout my life, and I know that I haven't been here as long as, as some of you, but if there's one thing that I've discovered is that the Christian walk is not, and that life itself is not a solo journey. You are not meant to do this alone. Let's do this together. And so I've asked the, the worship team to, to play through just a little bit of, of the song that we just sang. And, and maybe you, maybe there's something that's, that you've either gone through or you're anticipating that you need time to pray and you need people around you to pray together. There's no shame in admitting that you are not strong enough. As Paul would write in 2 Corinthians, that my strength is made perfect in your weaknesses and my grace is enough for you. Let's come together and pray as we sing. There's no one, no one, no one like you. And so God, we, uh, we take all of the things that we brought in with us and we don't illegitimize those by recognizing our need for your help in the midst of them. And so God, I pray for, for the needs that have been prayed for this morning. God, you know them. You're intimately aware of all of the details. And God, I pray that you would give direct answers, that you would bring relief where there is need for help, that you would bring peace where there's confusion, and that you would, that you would show yourself as who you are in the midst of all of these situations and circumstances. We love you. And we give you praise and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much for taking that extra time. I know that like sometimes that can, can feel a little awkward to, to take time in the middle of a service to just step out and pray, but it's so good for us to do, to, uh, to encourage each other, to lift each other up. And, and, uh, and so thank you. Thank you for being a part of that. Um, if, you, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, or even if you haven't, uh, we've, to let you know where we're at, we have been working our way through a series in which we have been looking at the, the book of Acts. And, uh, and this book, I got to tell you, is, it's one of my favorites. Because when I read this book, I get so much hope and I get so much excitement out of it because this is a story of, of a group of, of people that followed after Jesus and this is what happens after Jesus' death and resurrection. And it gives me hope that, that if God can take this ragtag group of, of fishermen and tax collectors and nobodies and he can do extraordinary things in them and through them and after 2,000 years, we're still talking about this, how much more 
can God do in us and through us today? He truly is the unstoppable God, and we, we get to be a part of this beautiful thing called the church, which he has instituted, and he's blessed and, and sent out into, uh, into this world to be a, 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 a beacon of restoration for our world today. Now, let me ask you a question before we, before we go any, any further. How many of you like city driving? For those of you who can drive, how many of you actually, you're crazy. <laughs> I hate, I absolutely hate city driving. Why, why do you like city driving? Uh, I like the NASCAR part of it. <laughs> you, like the, you like the NASCAR part? Right. Do you have like an, a running like commentary in your head like while you're, while you're doing that? Like, you know, Chris takes the, t- takes the lead. He's going around another left corner. Oh, okay. Only if you don't get passed by cars that you've already passed. Uh, well, I hate city driving, um, and part of that is because I grew up. Uh, I grew up very close to New York City, and so I had some experiences driving in downtown New York City, uh, and and then lived around the Atlanta area. And and just I hate city driving. I'm just not. I'm not that type of person that really enjoys that the thrill of the of the pass. Um, but uh, but part of that too is also that I am a classic second child. Um, I am a, a peacemaker by nature. So I, when it comes to conflict, like I don't like conflict at all. I like, I like making the people around me feel good and make them happy and, and make sure that they're, they're all right. By the way, you did a fantastic job this morning and you know, talking about connect groups, so thank you for that. Great job, great job with the, uh, the announcements this morning, Pastor Mark. Um, no, I didn't do that because I'm trying to make, <laughs> I'm trying to avoid conflict with Pastor Mark. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but as, a, as a peacemaker, you know, in, in city driving, you know, city driving kind of requires you to be a little bit reactionary. Like, you've got good reaction timing now. As a video gamer, I've got pretty decent, uh, I've got pretty decent reaction time. But I like that not knowing that I'm in that situation. I'm not going to die if I crash into something. Um, so, uh, so for me, I'm not particularly fond of... Of, uh, of city driving, so I've kind of taken the school of thought that the best offense is a good defense. Um, and I had a student at one point in time that used to tell me that uh, his grandmother would say, anytime you're traveling, look out for the other guy, look out for, uh, you, know, look, you know, be aware of, of what's going on around you uh, so that you can have good situational awareness and so you don't have to react to things, but you can respond uh, to them. Well, uh, a couple of a couple of weeks ago, um, Bailey and I we were uh, we we try to take at least one night a week where we we set everything aside in our in our schedules and we take a, a date night. And uh, we were we were out one night uh, on a date night, and um, we were in the we were in the mall area, and we were driving back. It was in the evening. We we're driving back and merging on to 53 North. And and as I'm merging, we kind of get on to that like Hastings 53 area. And this car comes like saddling right up alongside of us. And the dude in the driver's seat is just yelling like he is just losing his ever-loving mind. And, and you know, he drives off. And I found, I found myself thinking, this guy is crazy. Like, what on earth is wrong with this dude? And so the rest of the way home, I am just fuming. I'm furious. And I am just telling Bailey how people just need to calm down with each other. And there's, there's no good reason for this. And then nobody should ever act that way. This is just inappropriate behavior. We just need to be decent to one another. Well, a couple of minutes we got home and I found out that my headlights weren't on.
Yeah, I had a giant plate of crow. I ate it. <laughs> so, so, you know, I get, I get home and suddenly I find myself in this place where I have just reacted emotionally to the situation rather than responding to what was going on. I clearly was in the right during that time, at least in my own mind, but that's never happened to any of us today other than me, has it? You know, <laughs> you, don't, you don't really have to look very far uh, to see that right now we're living in a highly emotionally charged climate. Uh, that there's, there's a lot of fears, there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of frustration uh, that's going on right now. And in this past year alone, we've seen these incredibly uh, explosive outrages over things like, like emails and elections and video games and kids and gorilla enclosures. And, and well, it would be amazing to say that during all of this, like all of these explosions and this emotion and, and, and stuff like that, that, that we typically get this one right the, the reality is that that just like me and the and the headlights we 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 have those moments when we really don't but we can and 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 let's face it whether directly or indirectly we're all going to experience conflict or some type of relational dissonance at, at some point in time or, or another and, and and maybe some of you guys are, are looking at that with this coming week with it being thanksgiving week the holidays are always a time when you get together with, with family and usually there's that like one person that you can't stand or there's that one person that you really have a difficult time with uh and and so whether you find yourself in a place where there's like family tensions or you're, and it doesn't matter if you're like a stoic Norwegian or you're a volatile Italian that waves their hands while they talk, um, you're going to experience some type of emotion, some type of uh, emotional response because we're emotional creatures. Uh, and, and really how we respond in the midst of conflict will determine most of the time relationally what the outcome will be uh, of situations and, and what we can't ever, and I would never want us to ever have the ability to control somebody else's will. As fun as that sounds, it's not something that you want. Um, we really have three choices when it comes to dealing with conflict. Um, choice number one is kind of the I can't believe it's not butter option. It's retreat. It's a, it's a preservative uh, that we, uh, we preserve ourselves by retreating from, uh, from conflict. Uh, we're, we're, uh, we're absent. We're absent from conversations that are, are, are conversations of conflict. Uh, we can react, which is a little bit more defensive. It's, it, we, we get really emotional without reason. Uh, and we're often closed off to, to discussion. We're closed off to, to, uh, to conflict. Um, anytime that, that we go into a, a situation where we know we're going to be, we're going we're to butt heads against somebody, we know our case, we're standing our ground, and there's no way we'll ever be convinced of anything other. We're closed off. And then there's response, which is, which is a little bit more analytical. It's logic-guided emotion. And, and we are, we're a little bit more open to conversation. We may not agree at the end of a conversation, but there's still, uh, there's still uh, an openness to listening and to, to hearing and being heard. And, and just a kind of a quick note on this, I want you to know that like when we talk about like emotion, a lot of times like we kind of like universally pan emotion and say emotion is just a terrible thing, you should never be emotional, but that's 
that's not true. We're emotional creatures. God created us with the spectrum of emotion that we feel. And, and you can just read the pages of scripture and you see where God is experiencing joy and frustration and love and all the, you know, the whole spectrum of, of, of human emotion that we experience. He's placed that in us. And so part of the, the human experience is us figuring out, okay, how do we navigate this? And what do we do with this thing? And, and so today we're actually gonna be looking at uh, the story of a young man who lived in a highly emotionally charged culture. And we're gonna be looking at his response and from his response, we're gonna see uh, some great principles for us to take home that are great ways for us to deal with, with conversations of conflict. And, and we're gonna be covering two different chapters here and while at times it might feel like we're drinking a little bit from a fire hose, I hope that it's less waterboarding and more refreshing. Uh, so uh, at the end of this, my prayer really is, is that we come, we come to a place where when the crowds go wild, that we do not. So if you wanna follow with me on the screen or you wanna follow with me in the Bible in the pew in front of you, it's gonna be on page 887 in the Bible in the pew in front of you. And, and just a kind of housekeeping thing, um, the, the version that's on the screen is the NIV. I believe it was revised in like 2011 because there were more like translations and scrolls that were found and, and so it's a little bit more accurate. Um, but I still have my beaten, battered preaching NIV Bible. So it's a little bit older. So a couple of words are a little bit different. Same, same principle though. So we're gonna be starting in verse six, uh, or chapter six, verse one. It says, in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because there were, their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you whom are, who are, are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the propose, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the whole, of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Pecurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed for them, laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread and the number of these disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to, to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great and wonder, wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Now to set the stage what's going on is we have this, we have the, the, the movement of Jesus is expanding, it's, it's blowing up as people are discovering what it looks like to follow Jesus and the relationship that they, they can have with, with God through Christ. Uh, they, they, they're people that are just flocking to this movement and, and they're trying to take care of each other and they're trying to, to help each other out but the disciples, uh, the, the, uh, the, the closest uh, ones to, that, were, that had followed Jesus directly, they're trying to lead this thing and, and, uh, and they're, they're discovering, hey, you know what, we can't, I'm one person, I can't make it around everyone. Let's, let's play to our strengths, let's multiply ourselves and, uh, and let's, try to, let's try to make sure that everybody's taken care of. And so, and so Stephen is one of seven 
among them that, that, uh, that they chose to, to be a part of this, this, uh, this service arm of, of the church, that they were gonna take care of, of the daily distribution of food to widows. And, and, and so there are some things that we can, we can infer about Stephen's character uh, as, uh, as we get started. And it's important for us to remember character first. Whenever we go into a, a point of disagreement uh, with, a, with another person, we have to remember that our character matters. Your character matters. And, uh, and so we need to make sure that, that as, we approach, as we approach people that we may disagree with, that we keep, we keep that in sight, that our character stays consistent in, in what we're doing. So, so who was Stephen? Uh, letter A, Stephen was a servant leader. Uh, he was he was somebody that, that while the apostles were 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 trying to uh, they were trying to focus on on teaching and prayer they wanted to make sure that that ministry to people did not did not get uh, left aside that they wanted to make sure that physical needs were met and Stephen was a guy that was able to be trusted because he served people I can't tell you how important it is for us as Christians to understand what our strengths are and play to our strengths. If, if you've been a Christian, no matter, how long, no matter how long you've been a Christian, it's important for us to discover what our gifts are and how to use them to, to honor Jesus, uh, build his church, and to minister to, to other people outside of the church. And, and some good news for you, if you've never been able to figure out like, what that looks like, uh, we're gonna be doing some seminars coming up here in January. One of those is, uh, is called Network, and it will help you discover what those things are so that you can put your passion into, into action. And, uh, and so, so with Stephen, Stephen, one of his strengths was he, his strength was serving. His, he, was, he was strong in serving other people. And so, um, so he, was, uh, he was chosen by, uh, by the disciples to, uh, to, uh, to lead up this ministry, to be one of seven to lead up, up this ministry. We also see in verse three that he was a man of wisdom. Now, wisdom is a huge, huge topic throughout the pages of Scripture. And, and while I can't exhaustively cover like all of the, the, uh, the attributes of wisdom, there are a couple that really stick out that would have served Stephen very well in, uh, in this role. Uh, the first was that there was a teachability or a humility that he had to him. The Proverbs say time and time again that, that the wise welcome correction, that they don't scorn discipline, that they, they're okay with being taught new things. And Stephen was placed in this role where he had to learn a little bit of something new. He had leadership that was entrusted to him. He had to step up and he was teachable within that moment. It also talks about wisdom also is, is referred to as, as being uh, that, the, that the, uh, the, the reverence toward God, toward God is uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The psalmist talks about, uh, about that, that, uh, that it's, it's wise for us to acknowledge, it's wise for us to acknowledge just who God is when we put that into perspective of ourselves. This is part of the reason why, like Sunday mornings when we get together, we sing songs about the character of God. We're reminding ourselves who God is and we're celebrating that because he wants to be in relationship with us. There's wisdom in acknowledging who God God is. And then there's also integrity to God's word. Uh, there are several times 
where scriptures say, blessed is he who hears these words and puts them in, in, into action. Stephen would have known the words of the prophets that, that, that told them to love justice and to, to act mer- uh, mercifully and to love justice, to, uh, to take care of widows and orphans, to make sure that they take care of, uh, of people. And so there was a, there was a consistency in, that, in, in his approach to the word of God that, uh, that gave him wisdom. He was a man that was full of wisdom. We also see in verse eight that he was full of grace. Now, a couple of, uh, a couple of months ago, I preached a series called The Good Life where we asked the question of what it would it take for us to live the best version of life here and now? And we determined that, that, that was, it was you plus faith times Jesus and grace. That it's you with your, with your faith enhanced by Jesus and, and, and that grace that he has given to us, that unmerited favor that he's shown us, that we give that out to other people and we give it freely in the same way that God has given it to us. Stephen was a man who was full of grace and you're gonna see a little bit of his gracious character here in, in a little bit. And finally, letter D, he was, a, he was a man that was filled or empowered by the, by the Holy Spirit. Um, this is, a, this is a huge thing for us as, as believers, as, as, as people who walk with Jesus. We remember that we're not doing it alone, that his spirit walks with us and, uh, and, and helps us to, to, to know what to say when we don't know what we wouldn't know what to say otherwise. It gives us strength when we otherwise wouldn't have it. It gives us hope when everything seems hopeless. And Stephen, again, is a man that was a servant leader. He was a man that was full of wisdom. He was full of grace and he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. So this doesn't really sound like that bad of a guy, does it? Like, it does, he doesn't sound like he is, he is the type of guy that would go out looking at, you know, picking fights or anything like that. So what was the problem? What was the problem with Stephen? Where is the, the conflict here? Well, we're gonna pick up in, uh, in chapter six, verse eight. Now, Steve, now Stephen, a man full of, uh, of God's grace and the power and power did mon- did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began arguing with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were seated in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face looked like that of an angel. And then the high priest asked him, are these charges true? It's important for us when we enter into any situation of conflict to understand what the core issues, what the core issues of that conflict are. And, and oftentimes, oftentimes, uh, conflict really comes down to a, a differing in values 
uh, that, that we value something very differently or we, we see things in a different light or misunderstanding that, that we just didn't communicate very well or, or this wasn't really clear between us. And, 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 and a lot of conflict uh, boils down, down to those, those two things. So, so what was their issue with Stephen? Well, well issue number one was, was wounded pride. Um, they, they couldn't refute him. They, they, tried to, they tried to argue with him for whatever reason. We don't, have, we don't really have what started the, the discussion, what started the arguments, but we do know that they tried to argue with him and they, and they couldn't refute him. They just couldn't stand against him and they were mad that they couldn't correct him. How many of you have ever been corrected by somebody that you really did not want correction from? Oh, you've all had parents, so I mean, you're a... <laughs> And your kids are going, yeah, dad. Um, or like me with the, with the guy in my, you know, on, the, on the highway and my, me with the, the headlights not on. Yeah, they, they had wounded pride. They, they, uh, they didn't want to hear, they didn't want to hear that they were wrong. They couldn't, they couldn't possibly accept the notion that, that there might be something wrong with, with what they were bringing to the table. Um, issue number two, so, so they, they couldn't refute him. They, they, they had wounded pride. So issue number two, they resorted to false accusations. And isn't it funny, and I suppose funny isn't the right word, I suppose it's a little bit sad, that, that a lot of times when it, comes to, when it comes to conflict and we run into situations in where there is just, there's a disagreement and, and there is no resolution that we result to name calling. We, res, we result to belittling people in the midst of that. or We, we result to lying uh, about, about people. And what's, what's really interesting and noting is that these accusations that were levied against Stephen, they were no different, really, than accusations that were levied against Jesus. That he was in good, he was in really, really good company. Like, they tried to apply those things to Jesus, they didn't stick. And so, they're like, all right, we're going to try to catch some low-hanging fruit here. We'll go for Stephen, we'll go for one of his followers and see if it sticks, sticks there. But, but really what it comes down to, the real issue here was Jesus. They didn't, I don't know that they necessarily had a problem with Stephen, they had a problem with Jesus, because Jesus is untamable. Like, like throughout his entire ministry, people tried to control him. They had a specific view of, of what Jesus was supposed to be, who he was supposed to look like, what he was supposed to do for them, and they tried to, they tried to manipulate him. They wanted him to be this, this militaristic political messiah, and he's like, nah, I, I didn't come for that. And, and, and so, so he was incongruent with their plans. He was untamable, and that threatened their comfort. It threatened their comfort. You see, these, these, these people that were disagreeing with them, they had some type of stake in the matter. If the message of God's accessibility through Jesus got out, it would ruin everything. You know, people, people would worship at the temples and they would, they would bring their offerings to the temple. Their lifestyle that was dependent on that system was totally destroyed. It was totally ruined. Their problem was with Jesus. S.M. Lock, Dr. S.M. Lockridge says this. It says, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. They didn't care for Jesus, and so they didn't care for Stephen also. And one of the things they didn't care about Stephen, or one of the reasons they didn't care about Stephen was he was somebody that was filled with the Holy Spirit. He brought the presence of God with him where, where he went as, as a follower of Jesus. And Jesus actually, he, he kind of lets people know, like, hey, this is gonna happen. Like, as you walk with me, people aren't gonna get it. And they're, they're probably gonna hate you for it. Actually, John 14, uh, verse 16 through 17, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. 
The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but, I, but you know him, for he lives with you and will, will be with you. You know, there's, there's conflict of, of character that will, will come up as Christians because there are, things, there are things that we value that they're just simply not shared values. And so we have to look at, okay, we understand now the, 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 uh, the character that Stephen brings into the conflict. We see what the, the issues were that were brought to the table. Now, now how, does, how does Stephen respond to this? Because not only does character matter, but our responses matter too. And so, so in this, uh, we, see, we see first off that, uh, that he shows respect. Uh, in, uh, in, in chapter 7, verse 2, he replies, brothers and fathers, Listen to me. He, 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 uh, he calls them brothers and fathers. He, he gives this association. He, he says, hey, you know, we're, we're not terribly different here. Um, and, and, and even he, he shows even some respect to, to some of the, the older people that were in the, in the crowd there, some that had served within the, within the Sanhedrin or the ruling religious order at the time. And so he goes into this conversation he goes into this conversation not for exoneration, but for exaltation. He doesn't seek to exonerate himself, but to exalt Jesus. And it's very important, it's a very important in the conflicts that we deal with to remember the humanity of the people that we're talking with. Sometimes that's one of those things that we throw out the window. And so we start with respect. Remember, part of that character that we bring in with us is being gracious people. We need to be gracious people. Gracious people will show respect. And keep in mind, there's, there's really is a difference between showing respect and being politically correct. Um, showing respect regards the humanity of, a per, of the person that we disagree with. Political correctness is kind of like we're lying because we don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable. Um, so we need to make sure that as we, as we have conflict, and as we, as we, as we talk with, with people that we may have difference in opinions with, that we need to allow the character of God to define our response. Not our response define what people think of God. I'll say this very, on, on a regular occasion that you never know, as a Christian, as a Christian, you never know the people that are looking at you and taking their cues from you about who Jesus is. Let's just be honest. People are looking. You want to know. And you may be the only picture of Jesus that they see. And so this is an important place for us to start. The the second thing that Stephen does, letter B, is he offers perspective in their language. He establishes a common ground. He, he comes to this place, starting from a place of respect, and, and then he talks about things like, like heritage. He talks, about, he talks about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the Old Testament all throughout. These are, these are the, the, the patriarchs. These are the fathers that, that, uh, that they, the people identify with. He talks about their history. He talks about this, this covenantal relationship between God and, with, and Israel and all of the blessings that have come from that. He talks about the exodus, how God brought them out of slavery and into a new, a new, uh, a new land, and, and then the building of the temple, which was this huge moment for the people of Israel, that they have a place that they can call home, and they have a place where they can worship God together. 
He talks about their heroes. He talks about Joseph who, is, who, who saved the, the, the family from famine. He talks about Moses who led them out of Egypt. He talks about David who was a man, a king, who a man after God's own, own heart and Solomon who was so full of wisdom and expanded the borders of their nation. And then he talks about their hope. He talks about Messiah. He establishes this common ground with them. And friends, if there, is, if there is a skill that we would do well to learn, it is to learn how to speak the language of the culture that we're a part of. The greatest, I think, value to our community, one of the greatest values that we can bring into our neighborhoods, into our jobs, into our, our families, is to speak the language that people are speaking. Um, not universally panning the culture, but using its art, its philosophy, and its desires to reveal Jesus within the framework. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be uh, seeing a great example of this in, in, a, in a man named Paul. And, uh, and, and, and within that, like, there's this ugliness and this messiness of, yeah, you're going to have to navigate some really, some really nasty things. But it's always good. And it's always worth it. I, I, just kind of two asides here. These weren't really, you know, aren't really a part of the message, but I really want to encourage you. Like, especially if you've been like a Christian for a really, really long time, uh, I want to challenge you to do something. Your story, like how you came into a relationship with Jesus and started living that out, try writing it down without using any Christian terms. Uh, you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed at how difficult that can be. Uh, the other thing too is uh, there's, a, uh, there's a guy, his name is Dr. Walter Mueller. He runs a, an organization called the Center for Parent and Youth Understanding. It's cpyu.org uh, is, a, is a website. And there's a resource there called the 3D Leader's Guide. And it's an approach to how we have conversations about, about music and media and, and, and how we engage in this, in this conversation together without just, without just panning something, but talking about Christ through those things. So anyway, those are, those are a couple of asides here. Uh, letter C, he did not use the internet. I'm just kidding. Uh, letter C. Though that's really smart. Don't, don't get into an argument over the internet. That is like one of the most unwise things that you can, be, can do. Like, like nobody likes a keyboard crusader. Um, but uh, he, he confronted the root of the conflict. He, he, gets, he, gets to the, he gets to the root of, of the conflict. Like, what's really, what's really going on? Like, how many of you have ever been, like, in an argument or have gotten into a fight with somebody? And, like, when you finally get to, like, the point of the conversation where, like, there's actually the problem, it's like, oh, wait, that wasn't the problem. That wasn't where we started. Have you ever had an experience like that where, like, it's the issue, but it's not the issue? There's, a, there's this fantastic illustration that I like using when I'm walking people uh, towards marriage and pre-marriage counseling of a, of a wife's diary and a husband's diary about the same event. Um, in the wife's diary, she talks about uh, preparing for a date night. And, uh, and as she's preparing, she goes out, she buys herself a, a new dress and a new set of earrings and gets herself all ready and prettied up for, uh, for the night. They go out, have this romantic dinner, and over dinner, he is silent. And she's wondering, what did I do wrong? Did I spend too much on the dress and the earrings? Did I take too much time getting, getting myself together? Is my makeup not right? Did, uh, did I order something that he doesn't like the way that it smells on me afterwards? You know, she's going through like all of these mental gymnastics and then, the, and then there's the long car ride home and he's just silent. She's like, is everything all right? And everything is fine. 
everything is fine. And they get home and they sit together and he turns the TV on and it's just as quiet. And she goes to bed alone and she weeps thinking, my marriage is over. He doesn't love me anymore. This is a disaster. His diary reads, motorcycle can't start, can't understand why. But, you know, we've, we've, got, we've, got to be, we've got to be open to communicating about what's really the root of the conflict. Like getting beyond those front layers of reaction to actually get dig down and get to the root of like, hey, what's, what's, really, what's really going on here in this situation? For Stephen in, the, in this, in this uh, particular conflict, the conflict really was rooted in Israel's fickle relationship with God. They, they, they enjoyed God's favor, but they were more concerned with rule and ritual than the relationship that he wanted to have with them. And letter D, it got to a place where Stephen speaks uncomfortable truth. Verse 51 uh, through 53 says, says this. It, it says, uh, he says, he says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? You even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received this law that was put into effect through angels have not obeyed it. You know, sometimes in, in conflict, and this is one of the uncomfortable parts of conflict. Sometimes one of the most loving things that you can do for another person is speak truthfully and honestly to them. I can tell you from a personal standpoint that I have had some ugly conversations with people who I love dearly. But they said things to me that I needed to hear. They spoke uncomfortable truth into my life that I did not want to accept. But I know that I'm better off for it now. That because of that, it revealed something that I couldn't have otherwise seen before. I heard somebody say within the last, this last week that sunlight is the best disinfectant. When you put something out into the light, when you, when you reveal something by truth, then we can actually deal with what's, what's actually going on. You see, with Stephen's audience here, they claimed to speak for God, but they were so closed off to hearing from him. They wanted nothing to do with what God had to say and where, to say and where he was leading them. So, so what was their response to this? This is, this is a pretty, pretty big statement. He, he, uh, he approaches the conflict. He does, he does very well in, in the way that he, he approaches this conflict. But, uh, but there's always a, a rebuttal here. There's always time for rebuttal. And so their rebuttal is this. When they heard him, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. Every time I read something like that in scripture, like I think of like any like action scene that Arnold Schwarzenegger is in where it's like, ah, get to the chopper, ah, you know. <laughs> they were furious and they gnashed their teeth, ah. And they covered their ears and they yelled at the top of their, ah. And they, and they rushed at him, come with me if you want to live. Or actually, they didn't live after this. Uh, they dragged him into the city and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at a young man named Saul 
And I think this was a huge turning point for this guy, but that's another message. And so this was their response. Their, their response was character assassination. Stephen was the character. They assassinated him. Their response was this. If we don't like it, and if we don't understand it, we kill it. If we don't like it, we don't understand it, we kill it. I mentioned earlier that, you know, there, there are times in conflict where, where we get into situations where there are just names and accusations that are just hurled around. And isn't it true that one of the easiest things to do when we hear something that we don't like or we're confronted with something that's uncomfortable, the easiest thing for us to do is discredit a person. We destroy an individual. We go after, we go after the person instead of asking the question of what is really going on here you know, there's a name, there's a name uh, in, in the Bible for, for our, en- our greatest enemy, uh, Satan, which literally means accuser of men. And I've often said that the only time that I will ever compliment him is saying that he does a really good job with that, um, and none of us really need to take his, his job. When it comes to responding to conflict, remember, this is, a, this is a reactionary response. It's the, ah, don't be Arnold. Their rebuttal was to kill him. Just get rid of him, taking him off the table. So what's the verdict in all of this? What's the, what, was, what, was the, uh, what was the end, the end result? Anytime that you have a debate, you'll always have people that are you know, kind of judging the debate, ask, you know, defining like who won the debate. So the verdict of, of this conversation, this debate was standing Jesus. Okay, what on earth does that mean? Well, let's go ahead and, and, and jump in here to fill in some of the blanks here. But Stephen, this is verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see, the heaven, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, skipping down to 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell, fell to his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. This is a huge, huge moment because throughout the entirety of Scripture, any time that we catch a glimpse of what's going on in heaven, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. He is sitting. A king shows authority by being seated. In that, in that culture, if you were a king, if you were the most important person in the room, you were seated and people came to you. You were that important. Kings didn't stand unless, unless they were honoring somebody that was in their presence. And Stephen, man, Jesus standing is him saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. In the midst of conflict, in the midst of all of this, you kept your integrity. You kept your character. You dealt with this in a godly manner. You allowed me to influence the, the character that you showed within this. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter into rest. Up until the very end of his life, Stephen's, Stephen lived and responded with godliness and character. Remember, character matters. Character matters. 
and how we respond matters too. And one of the most beautifully freeing things for us is that while this story didn't end well for Stephen, he kept his integrity, he kept the faith. And for you and I, for you and I, isn't it freeing to know that the results of conflict, you know, we, we, can, we just need to keep our character in Christ in the midst of that. That, that yes, we need, to, we need to make sure that we are approaching people respectfully. Yes, we need to make sure that we are getting to the root of the issue, that we are, uh, that we are we're speaking the language of the people. And yes, when there's, there are those moments where we need to speak uncomfortable truth, we, see, we speak truth seasoned with love and grace. Those things are important. But the results, man, it's God that speaks to the heart. And so you and I, you and I, when we deal with conflict, remember, remember it's Christ first, that it's the character of Christ that needs to define us, not us making up what the character of Christ should look like. He's already set that stage. And I don't know about you, but for me, one day, one day I want to stand in front of him and not be the most right person on the face of the earth. I don't want to be the person who won the most arguments, but I want to be a person whose character was consistent with the character of Christ. And that is unstoppable. The message of Jesus did not end with Stephen, but it catapulted it into the world. And maybe for you, and I'm going to invite the, the worship team up here uh, as we close out. And maybe for you, you're looking at going home or you're, maybe you're, you're going to be visiting with family or you have family visiting you over this holiday and, and um, maybe you know there are, there are points of conflict that you're going to have. Maybe there are people that are just difficult to be around. In the midst of all that, we're gonna sing the song Oceans and the, there's a part of the song that says, Spirit lead me where my trust is without borders, where I walk upon the waters, wherever you would call me and take me deeper. My prayer for us today is, is that in the midst of the conflict that you would remember Christ and that you would allow him to dictate the way forward. Would you stand with me as we sing this this morning? Thank you that uh, even in the midst of, of conflict, you are still with us and you can do amazing things as we are faithful to you and your character. God, as we, uh, as we take time uh, this afternoon to, uh, to celebrate Thanksgiving together, God, I thank you for the beauty of relationship within the church. And uh, God, I, I pray for our time together that you'd be blessed and you'd be honored by it. And we'd be a blessing to each other too. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And may you know that when you go from here, that you go 
with the Prince of Peace and even into the midst of conflict that he is with you always to the very end of the age. I look forward to seeing you guys downstairs.